0: Amen. Amen. Y'all can uh, go ahead and take your seats. Isn't that good news that we can come as we are? I mean, because I look around this room, I see a bunch of messed up people, right? So it's good news, right, that no matter how messed up we are, no matter where we've been, what we've been through, no matter what other people say about us, we get to come as we are. And so we're so glad that you're here. Um, Hey, let's do this. Um, We're in week seven of our series, Church We Are dot, dot, dot. I love dot dot dot. As I said many times before, uh, understand. That September the 11th, uh, we've been talking about the church, uh, about who we are as defined by Scripture, and not what we believe, not what we think, not what we feel or what we claim, but who we are. You see, the answer to the question "Who is this group of people uh, that meet at 3210 Prophet Road every week?" Well, the answer is, we are the church. We are justice bearers. We are followers, not fans. We are devoted, and we are servants. Would you go? Would everybody just stand up, get some blood loosened up? All right? My line is we are. It's shorter this week. I, I left some of the ones out, but you guys, your, your line is, I say we are, you do the next one, right? Uh, I need someone to do the, he's going to do the dot, dot, dot. No, I'm just kidding. All right? All right? But, but, but you know, say it like you believe it, right? Because these are true. We are. We are. We are. We are. We are. One more time. We are. We are. We are. We are. Sorry. (laughs) 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 All right. Amen. 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 We are messed up. All right. You you all were doing so good. I had to add that extra line in there, right, that I was just charged up. And if you're here visiting, this is, this is how it is and how it will be. This is, this is it. This is me. Hey, uh, anyhow, i, I got to be honest. When we kicked off this series six weeks ago, I had no idea how impactful these conversations would be. I mean, I've had countless conversations with people about how, how something is, is happening and has been happening as we've been talking about church, we are. And yes, we saw some of that movement of God last week as a, as a bunch of people signed up to serve in the church so that Maple Grove will become stronger and more effective in accomplishing her mission of reflecting the Christ and reaching the lost. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 4 verse 16, as each part does its own special work, it helps, right? Right? It helps, right? As each part does its own special work, right? All of us have different talents and abilities. As each part does its own special work, it helps. It helps the other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And, And by the way, the door is still open, right? And we'll always be open to finding your place to serve at Maple Grove. You can fill out your connection card, rip that off your program, or you can go to, we created a new link on our website, serve, where you can find out where you can serve here at the church. Now, now all this God-induced movement should not have surprised me. After all, we're talking about the very thing that God could not wait to give birth to. Uh, understand, ever since Genesis chapter 3, ever since man's fall in the garden, God was longing for the time when the Christ would come, the kingdom would arrive, the church would be born, and the good news of his amazing grace would be unleashed onto this dark and broken world. Now, there are only two weeks left in the series. And next week's conversation is, uh, we are pursuing a life lived on mission. And then on November the 6th, uh, the final message is we are, we are in. We're having one service that, that week at 10 a.m., all right, 10 a.m. We were going to do 10.45 a.m., but we're, you guys are going to have an extra hour of sleep. 10.45 is actually 11.45, and little kids are probably arriving at church just in time for their nap. So we didn't want to jack that all up for the little kids. So it's 10 a.m., one service on November the 6th. And, 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 and I want you guys to be in prayer about how God wants you to respond on November 6th. For some of us, we're going to be re-upping, right? We're recommitting to the work that God wants to do in and through us at this church. For others who've been attending for a while, um, this series has kind of been our membership class on steroids, and and you will have the opportunity, hey, I, I want to join and be a part of Maple Grove and what God is doing here. And Some of you may choose to uh, surrender to Christ in baptism if you haven't done that yet. You know, we're going to have a baptism Sunday that day, and if you've not yet surrendered to Christ in baptism, the question I would ask you is a question that Ananias asked Paul in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, what are you waiting for? <laughs> what are you waiting for? Uh, Jesus did it. Jesus asked you to do it, right? What are you waiting for? Now, now this morning's conversation is an extremely important one. I mean, in all seriousness, it it just may be the most important conversation we've ever had. And and In fact, if we do not embrace the truths we're going to unpack from God's Word this morning, and if we do not do our best to live them out, then everything else we do is pretty much a waste of time. The conversation this morning is we, we are one. Now, David, shepherd, warrior, worshiper, king, A man chasing after God's own heart wrote these words 3,000 years ago. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Um, Would you agree with that? Amen. And David continues. He says, it's like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. I, admit, I got really no idea what exactly that's talking about, and I didn't want to spend any time trying to figure it out. All I know is that it's something good, right? He said, this is good, right? This is something awesome, something soothing, refreshing, renewing, and overflowing. And then he says, this unity thing, being in harmony with each other, it's as if the dew of Mount Hermon was falling on Mount Zion. And here's a picture of, of Mount Hermon. It's, in David's day, it was in the northern part of his, of his kingdom. And the picture that David is painting here is that in those times when, when, when all of the land surrounding that mountain is dry and barren, right, suddenly flowing from Mount Hermon is the dew from Mount Hermon refreshing Mount Zion. We might say it like this, you know, that when brothers live together in unity, it's like a cool glass of sweet tea on a hot, sunny, humid day, right? You're like, oh, man. Yeah, Chick-fil-A iced tea, right? Good stuff. He goes on. For there, for there, in that place where brothers are living in unity, for there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. Where does God bestow his blessings? Where does he pour out and unleash his blessings? When we are united, when we are as one. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And how good and pleasant it is not when they don't. Amen, right? It's just not. It's not fun at all. Maple Grove, we are one. Three times and we can move on. We are one. That doesn't count. We are one. We are one. We are one. One. Amen. Now the way I want to attack the conversation this morning is by unpacking three statements. The prayer for one, the power of one, and the path to one. But before we do that, I want to pray, and before we pray, I want to read some words that Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, words that describe who it is that we are about to talk to. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 15 and 16, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Again, that is describing who we're about to speak to. Now understand, while we are in this room right now, the Bible says that there is a being up there who no one can see or ever has seen because he lives in unapproachable light, and we're about to talk to him. It says that he alone has immortality. He alone has immortality. Understand, he is the only one that has life in and of himself. If you do me a favor and take the deepest breath you can right now. Now let it out. We were only able to do that because God allowed us to do that and he determines if we get to take another one and he will determine the last breath that you and i will ever take i mean what does it do to you to know that there is this one being who is who is at this very moment determining every breath and heartbeat in this room he alone has immortality understand you're only here because he decided to create you i mean if he never i mean what if he never thought in his mind to create you, to create me, then we wouldn't even be here. Brothers and sisters, there is this one being who lives in unapproachable light, who knows everything that is going on in our lives. And again, today's conversation, it's about unity. And listen, the reason we unite is because we all agree that there is this being in heaven who dwells in unapproachable light, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, and he deserves all the honor and all the glory because we are all just breathing. And every breath comes from him. And we unite because we agree that he is all-powerful and that he has seen the wickedness in our lives, but that he loved us so much that rather than punish us as he could and as he should, He sends his son. And he says, I'm going to show you a love like no one has ever shown you before. I'm going to have my own son die on a cross for you. And Maple Grove, that is why our time this morning has to be about him. Has to be about this being who lives an unapproachable life. This being who at this very moment is surrounded by millions and millions of angels who are praising and honoring him. Think about that. That's happening right now. And now we are going to come into his presence and talk to him through prayer. And so would you bow your heads right now and pray with me? God, we are so in all of who you are. God, we are so finite. We are so frail. We fall so much. And God, you are so mighty and strong and good and kind and powerful and beautiful and excellent and praiseworthy. God, we take so many wrong steps, but you've never taken a wrong step. God, every time we fall, you pick us up. Every time we run away, you pursue and chase after us. And God, when you speak, things that were not come into existence. And God, you hold the oceans in the palm of your hands. God, you stretch out the heavens, billions and billions and billions of stars and galaxy as though you were just opening the drapes in a home. God, there's no one like you. And God, I just pray that today, Lord, that you would, that you would plow up And open up our eyes and our hearts, God, that you would shatter anything that's blocking us from you. And God, that we would take this time, that we would just come as we are into your presence to receive your word. God, I pray for open hearts and open minds. God, I pray for your help. God, I I thank you, Lord, that you forgive my sins, which are many. And God, I trust that you'll find some way, God, to use me this morning to speak the words that you would long to see spoken in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the first point of your notes is the prayer for one. It's Thursday night. In a mere hours, Jesus will be arrested, tried, and nailed to a bloodstained cross. He has just arrived at the Garden of Gethsemane. After meeting with his guys in the upper room, washing their feet, announcing that one of them would betray them, betray him, instituting the Lord's Supper, telling them to stop letting your hearts be troubled. Stop letting your hearts be troubled. Predicting Peter's denial and the Holy Spirit's soon coming arrival, and then giving them a new command. A new command I give you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, when Jesus arrives at the garden, he hits his knees and he prays. And and John records some of the words of that prayer in John chapter 17. 26 verses, 643 words, the longest recorded prayer of Jesus that we have in the Bible. And first, Jesus prays for himself. He prays that his death on the cross would glorify both the Father and the Son. And then he prays for his guys. He prays for the 11. He he prays that the Father would would protect them from the evil one and and that the Father would sanctify them, bring them to Jesus' likeness by the truth. And his word, God's word is truth. Now, I, I understand this book right here is my key and your key to, to uh, sanctification, to Jesus-likeness. So, did you read it any this past week? I, I was six for seven. You know, I, I, I missed Monday. And, and uh, I actually came in here at 4.30 this morning, and, and uh, I, I sat by that rock, and I, I read Psalm 25, wh- wh- the one I missed on Monday. And what an awesome psalm David writes. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. In you I trust, O my God. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. What really hit me this morning was that all day long. Because I find it easy to hope in God when I'm sitting there hanging out with God. (laughs) But sometimes when I get up from that time and I'm doing life, I forget to hope in God. But, but man, if I could hope in God all day long, right, while I'm here at work, while I'm doing life, while I'm at home, hope in God while you're at school, hope in God all day long. And, and yesterday in, in Proverbs 4, we read these words about the power of God's word. He says, listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. For they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And listen, once God's word has penetrated our heart, we need to guard our heart, right? So those truths don't kind of like leak out on us. And third, Jesus prays for everyone throughout the centuries who would choose to follow him. In other words, he prays for me and he prays for you. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me Through their message. Through what? Through their message. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through Christ. Romans 10, verse 17. Now, now question, as Jesus, as he sees the lives of those who would follow him over the last 2,000 years, and as he sees the lives of those in this room, what request is he going to make of the Father on our behalf? I mean, there's a lot of things you could pray for, right? I mean, there's a lot of needs, a lot of needs throughout the centuries. So picture the scene. Jesus is in the garden praying, and he prays that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Are you kidding me, Jesus? You're asking the Father that, that, that we would be one just as? Just as uh, I mean, do, do you see the depth and power of what Jesus is saying that, that, that he wants us to be one just as him and the Father are one? so do so you think that Jesus and the Father were kind of tight? I mean, do you think uh, there's any oneness there? Listen I, I don't even think that we can comprehend just how how one Jesus and the Father are. Jesus said. If you have seen me, you have what? You've seen the Father. Because we're we're, we're like the same. We're like like exactly the same. And I understand, Jesus wants us to be one like that. Question, have you ever dared to believe that this could actually happen? That we could actually have that kind of oneness and unity? Maple Grove, Jesus wants us to see each other like that. He wants us to see each other as if we were literally physical family. He wants to see each other as brothers and sisters, just as. Jesus praying, Father, you know how close we are. You know how, how tight we are. You know what kind of relationship we have. Well, Father, I want them to have the same kind of closeness, to have the same kind of oneness. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that what? So that the world would believe that God had sent Jesus. Now understand, according to Jesus, our unity, our oneness, is essential to the world believing in Jesus. Our unity or oneness is essential to the world believing that Jesus is the Messiah. We'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. I've given them the glory that you gave me. Now let those ten words sink in. That's nuts, right? i have giving them the glory that you gave me. Now, now what glory did, did Jesus give us? Well, he gave us the Holy Spirit, his very presence to live inside of us, right? As Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, to those who surrendered to Christ, um, there's 3,000, he said, you know, repent to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So there really is no excuse for us not to be one. I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me. And I've loved them even as I love them even as you have loved me. Talk about another, are you kidding me statement? I mean, Jesus loves me. I mean, I mean, God loves me and he loves you as much as he loves Jesus. That's nuts. That's nuts. I mean, God loves you as much as he loves his son, Jesus. That's a whole lot of love, as Zeppelin said, right? Anybody remember Zeppelin back in the day? Question. Do you believe that is God's desire that we be unified, that we be one as a church family? Now listen, here's the crazy and sobering truth about this prayer of Jesus and this desire of God. It won't happen without your help. It won't happen without your help. It won't happen without your help, and it won't happen without my help. Get it? Good. The next point we're going to unpack is, is the power of one. And I went on YouTube this week, and I, you know, I, I was searching the power of one. And I found this, I think it's a funny little uh, minute, 30-second video, a little cartoon thing of the power of coming together as one. Check it out. All right. Okay. I understand oneness is a powerful thing. And number one, oneness brings glory to God. And Maple Grove, bringing glory to God is what everything is all about. And by everything, I mean everything. The psalmist writes in Psalm 19 that the heavens, that creation declares the glory of God, and I think it does a pretty good job, right? I mean, you think of a a starlit sky, you think of a sunrise or a sunset, the heavens declare the glory of God. In Isaiah 43, verse 7, we read that we were created for the glory of God. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. You see, just as a sunrise and sunset sings of the glory of God, When people look at our lives, our lives are to sing of the glory of God. People are to look at our lives and say, I didn't know that a life could be lived that way. We were made for God's glory. And listen, God's glory is what Jesus was all about. In John chapter 17, verse 1, we read these words. He just gets to the garden. Jesus said this. He looked toward the sky and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Okay, so like god's glory is is a big deal right now now check out the connection that paul makes between the between the glory of god and the oneness and unity of god's people may god who gives this patience, may god who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of jesus May God who gives us patience and encouragement help you live in harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Question, what is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus? To what? To live in complete harmony with each other. And and what is therefore unfitting? Disunity, disharmony, disoneness, division, right? Then, in other words, when we're living in complete harmony with each other. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Now, understand, when the world sees the unity, the harmony, and the oneness of God's church, when he sees the unity and harmony among God's people, it's God is glorified. It's like, wow, this is such an awesome and amazing family. They must have one incredible father. Question Do you want to bring glory to God? I sure hope so, because that's why you're breathing right now. Well, one of the ways to do that, to make that happen, is through pursuing unity. One that's powerful, it brings glory to God, and one that saves people from hell. In the garden, Jesus prayed. That we, that is people, would be one, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Could the stakes get any higher than that? Let me give you two bottom line equations. Here's equation number one. You like that one? It's pretty good, right? It's a mystery one. I think we got one more. Go one more. Boom. All right, here we go. This unity and this oneness, I don't know if this oneness is a word, but it should be, right? Okay. Equals people going to hell and God's glory being defiled. It's that simple. And it's that tragic. Disunity means people go to hell. Here's another equation. Unity and biblical oneness equals people getting saved and our God being glorified. I don't know about you. I I like equation two better. I like equation two better. I understand it's God's intent for the world to look at the church And be totally blown away by how we love each other. You see, our oneness and unity is to be our undeniable and irresistible apologetic. They're like, Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Look at how they love each other. The Roman historian Tacitus, you know, right in the first century, didn't necessarily like Christians or what they believed and didn't believe in Jesus, but he said, but i got to tell you one thing. They sure do love each other. Look at how they love one another. Bottom line, the world is tired of simply hearing about the love of Jesus. They need to see it. They need to see it in us. They need to see it in me. They need to see it in you. Oneness Brings glory to God and saves people from hell. And oneness makes us fearless in victory. That's what Paul is describing in Philippians 2. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in any way by your opponents. Kind of be like those crabs on the beach, right? Come on, come on, big big bird, we got you right here. We're not afraid of you. You're gonna be afraid of us. This is a clear sign to them, like that bird, right, of their destruction, the unity, but of your salvation, and that from God. I, I love that picture. The picture of the church, of God's people standing side by side, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind. I mean, our attitudes and our thoughts, our dreams and our desires, our purpose and our aim are all the same, are all in sync, are all one. And understand, Paul Paul's saying, Paul is saying that, that our oneness is a weapon. Our love for one another is a weapon. It's a great weapon. And that it gives us great confidence that we will have a victory And it gives us confidence and allows us to be fearless in the face of those who oppose us. And listen, we do have opponents. And we would do well to remember that. For you see, the the reason we fight with each other is because we've lost sight of the enemy and have forgotten that we're in a battle. See, it's only when we recognize that we have a common enemy... And your battle is not against flesh and blood, right? We think that all the time, right? You thought, you thought I was your number one enemy. Guess what? It's not me, right? You know? you know? It's only recognized that we have a common enemy that we will unite against that enemy. The power of one, it, it brings glory to God. It saves people from hell, and it makes us fearless in victory. And listen, because oneness is so powerful... It should be no surprise that our enemy, the thief's number one priority and strategy is to go after that oneness. I understand the thief wants to steal our unity, he wants to kill our power, and he wants to destroy both our witness and our credibility. And the evil one has been going after the unity of God's people from the very beginning. I mean, throughout the pages of Scripture, we see disunity between Cain and Abel, Joseph and his brothers, Jacob and Esau, Jonathan and Saul, David and Absalom. And the entire nation of Israel, right, after Solomon died, David's son, you know, the kingdom split in two. And for 200 years, they had a, I don't know how they ever, they had a civil war. War is never civil, right? They had a civil war. I mean, people died. They were divided. And Paul addressed this issue of disunity in several of his letters. He writes to the church in Corinth. Brothers and sisters, I, 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 I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Man, that's kind of harsh. Paul, can you tone it down a little bit? I, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. Why? What's going on? What's the deal? What's the problem? For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere... Humans. Paul writes to the church in Galatians about this problem of, of, of disunity. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. He, he writes this um, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. You know what malice is, right? It's when I don't like you and something really goes bad in your life, I'm like, yes, yes. And something that goes good in your life, I'm like, oh man, that's terrible. He got that good job. Things are going well. I'm really bummed out. That's malice. And that's ugly, right? You want to see someone's life messed up just because you don't like them? You want their life to go bad? You want God to take his blessings away just because you don't like that person? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And then Paul writes you to church in Philippi. And now, now know that when they got the letter, right, they would gather like this, right? Here's the church in Philippi. We're gathering. It's a, it's a mess-up church like we are, right? You had a businesswoman named Lydia. Uh, you had a, a girl that w- had been demon-possessed. And you have a, a jailer who just came to Christ, right? So it's a, it's a diverse crowd of misfits, right, like we are. And, and, and they're, they're coming to hear Paul's letter and in chapter 4. Imagine if you were these two ladies. Now I appeal to you, Udiah and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Stop fighting. Stop fighting. Stop acting this way. Paul calls them out. But then he calls out Timothy. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. Hey, man, don't sit and just watch people tear each other up. You know? Help them to get along. And listen, this disunity this and disharmony that we see in the Bible and, 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 and the, in these churches was seldom the result of arguments over major doctrinal issues, but simply from the fact that people sometimes just can't get along, and because far too many people make matters of opinion and preference a declaration of war. Have you ever experienced disunity and disharmony in the church? In relationship with other believers was it fun? I mean was God glorified? I mean did people just start streaming to Jesus I want to be saved no it wasn't fun. God wasn't glorified. people weren't getting saved. You see the most powerful thing that we can pursue as a Christ follower of church is oneness because it's power it has power to bring glory to god it it has power to save people from hell it has power to make us fearless in victory oneness jesus prayed for it oneness our enemy will always attack it get it good here's a final point in your notes a path to unity okay who, who here believes that oneness is a good thing And that unity is something we should pursue as a church, individual Christians. Anybody agree with that? Okay. Okay, me too. Those who don't, all right. That's okay. Someone slap them. Okay. Um, And so let's take a few minutes to talk about how we move oneness from a theological position. Yeah, oneness is important. To a living experience. Now, there are three things we need to do. Three things you need to do. Three things you need to do, because unity starts with you. Number one, deepen your oneness with God. May they also be in us, and I in them, and you and me. May they also be in us, I in them, and you and me. Now, understand, our, our oneness with, with others flow out of our oneness with God. It, because our unity and our oneness are centered on with and in him. You see, our, our vertical relationship with God, it feeds and it fuels. Our vertical relationship with God, it feeds and it fuels our horizontal relationship with people. And Listen, the truth is, we cannot be one with God and be in continued disunity with others. In fact, if we say we are one with God, yet we are disharming disunity with others, We lie. If anyone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a what? It's a liar. For we do not love people we can see. How can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Okay, so how, how do we deepen our oneness with God? Well, number one, by being in the word, right? Being in the word. But by praying to God? By loving and caring about what God cares about and what does God care about most? Seeing more people come into his kingdom, seeing more people adopted into his family. Right? Pray for one. And do you know anybody? Family member, friend, coworker, someone you go to school with who does not know Jesus? You know? Are you praying for them? Lord, show me one person that I can share your love with today. Who's your one? Who has God put in your life? Who is God hoping that you will speak to about the grace that's found in his son? And we deepen our walk also by hanging out with people who also want the same oneness. Now, the second key to walking the path of oneness is to develop Jesus-like behaviors. I mean, do you agree that if we were more like Jesus, there'd be more unity in our homes, and our churches, right? That makes sense, right? In Ephesians 4, Paul lists some of these Jesus like behaviors. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the union of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why? Well, because of this oneness thing. Why? Because there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called The one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and who's through all and in all. And so here, here's some Jesus-like behaviors we need to develop. One is humility. Humility. Now, humility is not to think less of yourself. It's to, it's to not think of yourself at all. It's, it's to live out this it's not about me life, right? It's hard to do. It's hard for you and I to get over ourselves, but it's to live out this, hey, it's not about me. Humility is, as Paul says in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. See, being humble is the opposite of being proud. God hates pride and And pride is a major source of disunity. Pride kills relationships. Pride kills churches. We're to be humble. Humility. Another Jesus-like behavior we need to develop is gentleness. Now, gentleness is not weakness. In fact, the Greek word that's used here means strength under control. Uh, They use it to describe such things as, as as a horse that has been tamed. And could there be any greater example of strength under control than Jesus on the cross? Sure, we may be able to verbally and physically tear someone up or down. But those who are chasing after unity will keep their strength under control. They'll be gentle. Another Jesus-like behavior is patience. The word patience means long-tempered. It's ability to endure discomfort without fighting back. Once again, Jesus is the prime example. As a sheep is silent before his shearers, so Jesus did not open his mouth. Now, now our nature, right, is to, is to fight back with words and fists or attitudes when we're forced by people to endure discomfort. But that's not a Jesus-like behavior, and it does not promote unity. Better a patient man than a warrior. A man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Proverbs sixteen thirty-two. Another Jesus-like behavior is bearing with one another in love. The word that used there means to hold up, to sustain or support. And Now in family settings and in the church where you spend a lot of time with people, you have the opportunity to see people at their best and to see people at their not-so-best, right? And it's in these cases, we must bear with the shortcomings of people because we're ruled by love. And because of are they are bearing with a lot of our shortcomings, right? Because we are far from perfect too. See, so when we have, here's the people in my life hard to deal with, guess what? We're on somebody else's list, right? <laughs> you're on somebody's list. Turn to the person you your right left and say, you're on somebody's list. You're on somebody's list, right? I'm on a, you're on somebody's list. Now there will be times when 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 someone's shortcomings are harmful to them or others or the church where we need to we need to correct them but we need to do that with patience. Now Paul in Romans fifteen it gives another Jesus like behavior we need to develop. It's acceptance. Accept one another, just as Christ Jesus has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Now the Greek word here for accept carries with it the imagery of when you accept someone, that that you, you receive them into your arms and that you embrace them. And then the word carries the idea of you walking hand in hand with them as brothers and sisters. So when you accept someone, just like Christ accepted you, and how did Christ accept us? While we were still sinners, Christ accepted us. Before we agreed, before we were perfect, and we're still not perfect, before we had it all together, jesus accepted us and that's how god wants us to see and treat other jesus followers maybe we up to walk the path of unity we must we must develop jesus-like behaviors there's so many of them we could spend so much time talking about them but you're smart people i want to encourage you to spend some time this week looking in your bible and meditating on these truths of jesus-like behaviors Maybe one thing you can do is go on a Bible app and look up one another passages. You know, they're 30 to 40, depending on how you count, you know, that we are to, we are to love one another, we're to forgive one another, we're to, we're, we're to encourage one another, we're to teach one another, we're to live in harmony with one another, right? You know, there, there's so many of these, right? And all these things promote unity within the church. Now, here, here's the last thing we're unpacking. It's, it's really an important part in achieving unity. You know, we must determine to be part of the answer. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Does it take effort to be unified? Anybody married, does it take effort, Right? You know, does it take effort in a family to have some harmony? Uh, uh Uh-huh, it does. You get married and you get in-laws, does it take effort to have unity? Yeah, I think it does. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So here's a question. What have you brought in the past, and what are you bringing now that is helping make harmony and unity a reality at Maple Grove? What have you brought to the table in the past? What are you bringing to the table now that is making harmony and unity a more likely reality at Maple Grove? Are you deepening your oneness with God? Are you developing Jesus-like behaviors? Are you protecting the unity of the church? If you are, great. Keep doing what you're doing and do it more and more. If you're not, will you? W- will you deepen your oneness with God? I'll tell you, when you get one with God, we'll get one with each other, right? It's impossible to walk with God and be one with God and be hating on each other, right? It, it just doesn't work. And, and will, you, will you develop Jesus-like behaviors? And, and, and will you protect the unity of the church? How? Well, number one, by refusing to participate in disunifying behaviors, by refusing to participate in gossip and slander and malice, by getting rid of anger, right? Right? You know, um, by by, by not grumbling and complaining, right? You know, we're saying, hey, I'm not going to participate in that, and here's the sticky part, but it's family, right? If your kid's sticking her fork in a light socket, you're going to say, hey, we're family, i got to tell you, that's a dumb idea, right? You know, And, and so So we have to call each other out, like Paul, when people are participating in those behaviors. And say, hey, no, 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 that's not acceptable. You know, say, wait a second, Steve Valores is my brother. He's my brother in Christ, and I love him. You're not going to talk to Steve Valores like that. You're not going to talk to him like that. He's my brother. I love him. If you have an issue with him, let's get with him but I'm not going to have it. You need to stop that right now. We're not going to tolerate that, right? That's what it means, right? I mean, if you have a child, someone messes with your kid, it's on, right? On like Donkey Kong, right? I mean, it's serious. You know, someone messes with your wife, it's done, it's done right? The gloves are off, right? You know, that's how we're be with each other. We're to protect the unity of the church, right? Because it's so valuable and important, right? Because if it's not unified, people go to hell. If it's not unified, then, then, then God's not glorified. If it's not unified, then we're not fearless in victory. We're cowering in defeat and not doing much of anything. The stakes could not get any higher. But he's giving us the glory that God gave him so we can, we can be one. Maple Grove, unity and oneness is the key both to a, a great church and a growing church. Because God wants to bring lost people into an environment where people reflect Him rightly, right? Rightly. You know, I mean, if you have a child and you're going to daycare, you want to check that daycare out first, right? It's like you go there; it's like chaos, and they're eating dirt off the floor, and kids are throwing tables. I don't think about my child there. Guys, like, hey, these people are just coming to find out about me, and the world screwed up and people in the world are divided, I don't want them to come into this mess. I don't want them to think that this mess is what church is and what following Jesus is, right? God wants to bring people into an environment where people reflect him rightly. You see, in in a divided world, our our, our unity is to be like dew flowing from Mount Hermon. Our unity is to be like, like sweet tea on a sunny, hot, humid day. Right? Our, our, our unity is to make people go, like, Are you kidding me? Look how they love one another. They're selling stuff because somebody needs something. Well, that person had a kidney and he gave his kidney to his brother because his brother needed that kidney. We are the church and we are one. And, and Jesus says that the, the way the world will know. You know that 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 God sent him. The way the world would believe in him is our oneness, is our love, right? You, you know, it, it almost doesn't make sense to me, right? Because you know, I got a logical mind. Okay, if I want this person, you know, Jesus said, you know, you know, this world who doesn't believe in God, that this world who hates God, you know, this world who thinks God has no right to tell them what's right and wrong, that this world who thinks there's many ways to heaven, this world who is hostile to God, hostile to Jesus, hostile to Christianity. Hustle the church. You, you mean, whoa. You mean, whoa. <laughs> oh, that would be terrible. You, you mean these people will be won by our love? Just because we love each other? That's like all we got to do? That's all we got to do is love each other the right way? And people say, you know what? I know I didn't believe in Jesus, but now I do. Now I do, because look how they love one another. It, it is our undeniable and irresistible apologetic. And it starts with you. And it starts with you. And it starts with you. And it starts with you, right? It starts with me. You know, we just have to get to the point where we take God at his word. A lot of stuff God says doesn't make sense, right? Walk around these walls of this great city, and they're going to fall. Seriously, God? <laughs> you know? Put a torch in a clay pot and you're going to feed a massive army. God, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. God, just love each other. He, he just said, you don't need to have great programs and great speaking and great worship and all that. That's fine and good. He says, but, but that's not what's going to get the job done. Just love each other. Just love each other. Just be one. And the world will be one. Amen? Amen. Amen. And what an awesome time to do what we're about to do. Every week we do communion, you know, and, and we gather around the Lord's table. And, and uh, if you guys would stand, and in just a minute I'm going to pray, and then when I'm done praying, you can go grab your communion. And, and, and uh, if you're here today and you need prayer, come grab me during this time. You know, if you want to talk about following Christ and what it is to surrender Him, come grab me, and we can talk. Uh, but I, I want to, today what I want you, when you grab your cup, they're off to the side, you know, it's a double cup, the crackers on the bottom, and you have the cup. Don't take it yet. Today we're going to come back, and once everybody's seated again, we're going to take it together, right, at the same time. Uh, God, we love you. And God, we thank you that you're a God and you love us. And God, we thank you that, that just like you deliver God's people from Egypt, and they had this meal, the Passover meal, to celebrate that deliverance. God, we have this meal right now to celebrate the deliverance that you've given us from sin. That we're no longer a slave to sin, Lord. And God, I pray, Lord, that right now you would just, you would soften our hearts and, and draw us close to you. God, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. And I just pray, God, that you'll be honored in our lives And that we will be one just as you and the Father are one. In Jesus' name, amen.